0: An attorney who had the reputation of being long-winded and drawn out was arguing a technical case before a judge of the Superior Court in the United States. He had rambled on in such an aimless and haphazard way that it became very difficult to follow his line of thought. Eventually, the judge blatantly yawned aloud with just a trace of sarcasm. The tithesome attorney daringly commented to the judge. I sincerely trust that I am not unduly trespassing on the time of this court. My dear friend responded the judge. There is a considerable difference between trespassing on time and encroaching upon eternity. As we carry on today with the theme of time, turn along so to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 in your Bible. We ended the year 2020 with Ecclesiastes, and we're starting the year 2021 with Ecclesiastes 2. Last year, we looked at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and we learned that there is a time and a season for everything under heaven. And because everything that has a beginning has an end, we learned that whatever challenges you are facing, whatever challenges that we are facing, we learned that these two shall pass. Not all challenges are the same and no one is minimizing anyone else's particular challenge. No matter how challenging or not challenging, it may appear to others. You are you. And you are facing what you are facing. And for you, at this moment in time, that challenge that you are facing is the worst thing in the whole entire world. No one is taking that away from you. What I am saying to you, is that if you look at scripture, and if you take a long-term view of life, then what you are facing is going to come to an end. This too shall pass. Now I'm going to say that again so that you can hear me real clear. You are you. And you are facing what you are facing. And for you at this moment in time, that challenge that you are facing is the worst thing in the whole entire world for you. No one is taking that away from you. But what you do need to hear is that this too shall pass. And what you're facing will come to an end. I'm not talking about suffering and you need to go and listen to last week's message in order to get an understanding of the difference between the challenge and suffering. What I am saying is that the normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill person is going to face challenges as a part of life. And that regardless of what you're facing, it is eventually going to come to an end. For the word of God says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Today's message is entitled, Make Your Time Count. Last week, last year, was in God's time. This week, this year, today, make your time count. Let's read together Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Reading from verse 1. This is what the word of the Lord says. So we reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. All share a common destiny the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, and the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with a good man, so with the sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil. And there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white, and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life, and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave, where you are going, there is neither working nor planning, nor knowledge nor wisdom. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, No one knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the Lord bless this word to our hearts. A quick recap on where Ecclesiastes fits into the whole of the Bible. It's part of the Old Testament collection of books known as the Wisdom Writings which include the books of Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. Although mostly Hebrew poetry, the reason they have been labelled as wisdom literature is because of their emphasis on understanding and attaining wisdom for all areas of life, including our relationships with God and with one another, with other people. Believed to have been written by King Solomon, who was King David's son, this collection of writings has been around for some 3,000 years. Now let that sink in for a moment. The wisdom captured in this passage of scripture, passed on to us from God through Solomon, has been around for some 3,000 plus years. 3,000 year old wisdom that has not gotten outdated. How can I say that? Well friends, it's because it deals with a topic that only God has infinite knowledge about. Eternity. In last week's message, and looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we get that very famous verse 11, which says that God has put eternity into the hearts of mankind. And now here in chapter 9, the entire passage is riddled with death. But what we need to realize, friends, what you need to realize is that death is the doorway to eternity. Death is the doorway to eternity. Death is all around us. Every hour of every day, someone dies. Let me correct that. Every second of every day, someone dies. Every second of every day. The statistical value is in fact 1.85 people die every second. And that was two years ago stats. It is sufficient enough to know that every second that the hand of the clock ticks over, someone has died and stepped over into eternity. Death is the fate for everyone. It is the core teaching of this passage today. Verse 2, all share a common destiny. And then verse 3, the same destiny overtakes all. You might be sitting there and thinking, dear Lord Daryl, have you heard God right? Is this the passage that you must preach on today? This is not the most encouraging word to be starting the year off with. But before you dial out or switch off or change to another channel or a preacher to whom you want to listen to, you need to hear the wisdom that undergirds the teaching from this passage. It may be riddled with death. It may be riddled with eternity. But the underlying teaching of this passage is make your time count. Make your time count. Make your time that you have under heaven and under the sun count. Because all share a common destiny. The same destiny overtakes us all. Death is the fate of everyone. And then eternity. The realm of God eternal. Whether to blessed togetherness or tormented separation. What you do today and in your life. In the time that you have under heaven, the decision to follow Jesus or not will determine whether when the sun sets for you in this mortal life, whether it will rise for you in eternity or be shrouded in darkness by the gloomy cloud of everlasting despair. When you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it comes across as quite a negative book. But this is only because it is deliberately being presented from the perspective of life without God. Life without God. Without God, everything that we do in this life is meaningless. Without a long-term view of life after death and eternity, which one can only be received by believing in God and in the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus, without a long-term view of a life after death and eternity, The writer of Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes, is disturbingly true. Everything is meaningless. With having lived through a year of pandemic, disrupting everything that we have come to accept as normal, we stand on the doorway of a new year looking back and wondering if there is anything worth hoping for in this year ahead. We face a mutating virus, a second wave, Further lockdowns pushing our economy and livelihoods beyond what we have already been able to bear. What is the point of it all? If everything is in fact meaningless, then what is life worth living for? Is there any point in the pursuing of anything? Friends, the answer to that is yes, there is. Because as mentioned previously, There is that exceedingly meaningful verse in chapter 3 that says God has put eternity into the heart of mankind. The great Christian apologist C.S. Lewis offers some insight into the understanding of that verse when he said, No creature is made with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water, he says. Humans feel hunger and thirst and food and water exist to satisfy those desires. But there exists in all humans a desire that nothing in the world can satisfy. And so the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. That was C.S. Lewis. The question then is not a matter of, Is there any point in pursuing anything? But rather, what is it that we are supposed to be pursuing? The first portion of verse 10 is the power of God for us in today's verse, in today's passage. Whatever your hands finds to do, do it with all your might. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. The second portion of verse 10 explains why the first portion is important, and reiterates what we already know from this passage, and that it is everyone is going to die one day. Because of this, the first portion of the power is the power of God propelling us to live a life worth living for, and pursuing everything that we do with vigor and determination. Because we know, we know that our time is limited towards the end of Paul's letter to the Colossians, he gives them some last thoughts before his final greeting. He tells them to devote themselves to prayer. Well, that's a good thing to do. He tells them to be watchful and thankful. Jesus said you'll know the times when the end is near. Paul says to them to pray for him and by extension to pray for preachers and missionaries. Also, something good to do. He tells them to be wise in the way that they act and live and interact with people who are not believers. He tells them that when they talk, they should always be kind and wise. Folks, listen to that. And then he also tells them in verse 5, he says this, Use your time in the best way you can. The ESV puts it like this, making the best use of the time. In other words, make your time count. Don't waste it. Rick Warren shared recently in one of his devotions, he said this, time is your most precious resource. It's far more important than money. You can get more money, but you cannot get more time. You only have a certain amount allowed and allotted to you in this life. You can't make time. You can't borrow time. You can't save time. You can't extend time. You can only use time. We all have the same amount of time every week, 168 hours. You won't be able to manage anything else in your life if you don't learn to manage your time well. Your time is your life. God is watching how you manage your time on earth to determine what he's going to have you do in eternity. I want you to listen to what Rick is saying in this last portion. One of Satan's strategies is to get you so busy doing unimportant things that you don't have time for the important things in life, preparing for eternity. If Satan can't get you to be bad, he'll get you to be busy. Rick concludes his devotion with this final thought. The Bible tells you exactly what you should be doing with your time. And then, quoting the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20, Rick points us to the all-eternal truth of our lives as disciples of Jesus. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. Friends, there is nothing more important in this life Than to first know Jesus as personal Lord and Savior. This is the only antidote to a life that seems meaningless. You can stand today at the beginning of this year and look back and think it was all for nothing. And look forward and think, well, what's the point? And both of those statements are true outside of living for Jesus. But once you have accepted the free gift of salvation that is in Jesus Christ... Then everything changes, not because all your burdens are taken away, but because your life now has meaning and purpose, and that meaning and purpose is to live for the glory of God, and to worship Him forever. This does not mean that you must stop what everything that you are doing, and pursue, and uh, a an, uh, uh, pursue becoming a missionary or a preacher. I'm not saying that. Rather, it means. That now, you now view everything that you do through the lens of eternity. And ask yourself, is what I am doing drawing me closer to God or pushing me further away? Paul said to the Colossians and therefore to us that we are to make the best use of our time. One of the chief responsibilities of the Christian life is to read your Bible and to pray. You heard that earlier as well, Paul admonishing the the, the believers in Colossae to pray. You cannot get to know God properly outside of reading the Bible for yourselves. You cannot get to know God properly outside of reading the Bible for yourselves and then being instructed in it. After the day of Pentecost... And 3,000 plus people got converted to Christianity. It says in Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Your first and foremost responsibility as a Christian is to use your time to get to know God better within the context of a local gathering of believers, to remember the Lord's sacrifice and to be in fellowship with other believers. And then to spend time and prayer for yourself, for others, and for the church. Your life at the beginning of 2021 has infinite meaning, but just exercising this instruction alone. Making the best use of your time also means that we are not to squander it, not to waste it. I'm not saying that it must be all work and no play. I'm not saying that. But there are many things that we do that are of no good use of our time. And here's the thing. I cannot label that for you. What's good for one person might be wrong for another. What's good for one person might be wrong for another. There are, of course, some general things like sinful behavior that is not good for everyone. But there are other things that are going to be specific to an individual that they must either pursue or let go. It is your responsibility to put your life before God and say to him like Paul did in Acts chapter 9. He said, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? It's your responsibility to put your life before God and ask him, Lord, what would you have me do? Paul had a mission. He had a purpose. He was pursuing goals. And then he met Jesus. And when Jesus confronts your life, you have a responsibility to put your life before God and to ask him, Lord, what would you have me do? What must I let go? And what must I take on? Remember Acts chapter 20 that I read a little bit earlier? Paul writing, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. What is the Lord Jesus asking you to do? Have you asked him? Have you listened for that still small voice that says, this is the way, walk in it. Have you obeyed it? Or are you going to insist and tell me that God isn't answering your prayers? When rather, He's already told you what to do. And you're just not doing it. As I said, there is no single right or wrong path for every person. That is why a personal relationship with Jesus is so important. He may ask you to do something that to everyone around you may seem meaningless. But it's not their instruction to follow. It's yours. And when you have received your marching orders, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, do it with all your might. Do it with all your might. I was chatting to someone recently who was saying that they were uncertain whether they should continue with a doctoral thesis or not, as it seemed to them to be such a meaningless study. That was their own personal conviction. So I said to her that I had recently benefited, me personally had benefited, from the work of someone who had done studies on the economic earning scales of the Roman Empire before and during Jesus' lifetime. Showing that Jesus' parents would have been in the lower end of the economic middle class of that time and era. Rather than the impoverished as they are often depicted. The benefit to myself and to the many others who had commented on this article, the benefit to myself and the others was a reinforcing that Jesus did not come to uplift the poor as immaterially poor, but rather that Jesus came to uplift the poor in spirit, which is in fact the entire human race. Jesus came to minister to an impoverished humanity as a whole, not just to a portion of that humanity represented as the poor. For in the eyes of God, we are all poor, not just Jesus' parents or the shepherds, all of us. I said to this lady that had someone, had that someone not done what would seem to be a meaningless study, into the economic wealth scales of ancient times, then we today would not have benefited from a better understanding and expression of Jesus' mission. And so my counsel to her was to pursue what God was laying upon her heart, as she had no idea how God was going to use that later. Make your time count by first getting to know Jesus And then secondly, pursuing what he wants you to do. The third way to make your time count is to not waste time. It's interesting that in some Bible translations, that portion of Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5, the ESV translates that as making the best use of the time. In other versions, it's translated as redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. To rescue from loss. That's what that word redeem figuratively means. To rescue from loss. Don't waste time. Rather, make good use of it. Even your spare time. I want you to listen to the story. And I hope I'm going to get the pronunciations right. Henry Francois d'Agassio was a Grand Chancellor of France That title would later become known as the Minister of Justice after the French Revolution. Yagasio carefully made use of every moment of his time. He observed that his wife delayed 10 or 12 minutes every day before coming town to dinner. And so he began to compose a work to which he intended to devote those few minutes which would otherwise have been lost. The result was that at the end of 15 years, that's dedication, at the end of 15 years, he had completed a written book comprising 48 single-sided A4 pages. Maybe a booklet in today's terms, but back then, a book, which had gone through several editions during that time as well. 10 minutes a day for 15 years resulted in a completed work of 48 pages. How are you rescuing lost time? Many of us don't know how to make good use of what could or should be considered to be wasted time. It is reported that an average person will spend 7 years, 8 months of their last time watching television. And another 5 years, 4 months on social media. Together, that is a full 13 years of time watching TV and social media. D'Agassio took the equivalent of 45 days, 10 minutes a day, 12 minutes a day for 15 years. Only amounts to 45 days. Okay? He took the equivalent of 45 days waiting for his wife to come down to dinner and wrote a book. By comparison with the time that we waste in our modern time, he could have written 104 books. In the same amount of time that we use to watch TV and spend on social media, a determined individual could write 5,000 pages and still have time to edit it. How are you rescuing lost time? I wrote some articles for Church Mag a couple of years ago on being purposely social. So I'm not against the need to be active on social media as part of a social evangelism strategy. That's a deliberate strategy to use social media platforms to build trust, relationship and engagement with people who you would not normally come into contact with. Notice that I said a deliberate strategy. So I'm not against social media. But I have to ask, do you know how much wasted social media scrolling takes place on the toilet? I've shared this before, and I share it again. I once, you know this is true, I once saw an, a, an image of a guy standing within the bathroom, and he was standing with a toilet roll, and the caption said, okay, you've scrolled long enough. How much precious time has been wasted by this reality? Now I'm not saying that I'm innocent of this, but John Piper tweeted back in 2009, 11 years ago, some really convicting words. He said this, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. One of the greatest uses of social media when Jesus returns will be to prove. Friends, to prove that lack of prayer was not due to lack of time. Use your time in the best way you can. Are you making the best use of your time? Sir William Russell was accused of plotting against King Charles, King Charles II, and executed for high treason on 21 July 1683. He was, however, posthumously pardoned with the evidence being cast as yesse. Now it is said that on the way to the gallows, Sir William Russell took his watch out of his pocket and handed it to the physician who waited upon him and said, Will you kindly take my timepiece and keep it? I have no more use for it. I am now dealing with eternity. The writer of Ecclesiastes in verse 12 of our passage in chapter 9 today says that man does not know his time. Man does not know his time when death will befall him and take him from this life. Therefore, it is of the utmost importance that every one of us make the time that we have count. We must accept Jesus as personal Lord and Savior. We must do what we believe the Lord Jesus is asking us to do, and we must make the best use of the time that we have and not waste it. Make your time count, for the sun will set behind the mount. When life is gone, you'll enter beyond. May it be as saved, with a job well done, and time redeemed, no single second lost. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come today at the beginning of this new year, an opportune time when people generally take the time to consider New Year's resolutions and make plans. That sometimes don't last until the end of the month. Father God, I pray that you would put it in the hearts of the men. You've already placed eternity in the hearts of everyone, whether saved or unsaved. That yearning that the unsaved feel. That is eternity calling for them. We who are saved know that eternity awaits us. And we can look upon this life as meaningless as it seems to the many around us. And we can say that we have a hope and a future because Christ in us is the hope of glory. And yet, Father God, we can so easily waste our time. So easily spend our time on meaningless activities. Father, I pray today in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That every single person hearing this message would have a change of heart with regards to the time that you have given them. None of us know how long we have, but whatever time we have left, Father God, I pray that it would be for your glory and for your honour, and that it would be meaningful. I pray, Father God, that we people feel that what they are doing is meaningless. That, Father God, if it is of you, and that that is condemnation from the uh, the devil. I pray that you would silence it now in the name of Jesus. I pray that you would encourage them and strengthen them to pursue the dreams and the purposes that you have laid upon their hearts. Regardless of what 2020 has stolen. Regardless of what the locusts have devoured. I pray, Father God, that you would restore to them, as you restored for Job, tenfold over. That, Father God, your people would stream, Father God. Would stream into this world to make a difference that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, because you have given them a purpose and a task that they are going to take on and that they are going to do with all of their might. For, Lord, we, we stand not here for ourselves. We stand here for you. If we have not received, if those, Father God, have not received marching orders, I know that that is not true, Father God. I pray that you would ring loud and clear their ears, that they would... Keep the distractions silent so that they may hear what it is that you're asking them to do, telling them to do. Let them not look to the left or to the right, but may they listen to that still small voice that says, this is the way, walk in it. May they walk in it in power, Father God. May they walk in it in conviction, Father God. May they walk in it accomplishing the plans and purposes that you have had for them since before the creation of the world. May this be, Father God, our prayer this year. We pray, Lord Jesus, in the name of our Lord and Saviour. Amen. Receive now the blessing of God. Let us pray. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour and the Lord is not in vain. Amen. We shall see you next week on last stream.